Come on back in. Want to welcome you if you're here for the first time. I also want to welcome those who are watching online and say to those of you who are home because of COVID, we miss you. We look forward to the day when we can all be back together safely. But in the meantime, my name is Mark Mullery. It's my privilege to serve as one of the elders here and to bring this morning's message. We've been in an Advent series called God With Us. We are meditating on the heart of Christ. Many of us may be more familiar with the work of Christ than the heart of Christ. And we want to not only know about but experience the heart of Christ. We found this book, Gentle and Lowly, to be a great gift in uh, grasping and being grasped by the heart of Christ. And so we were able to give that out. We uh, don't, unfortunately, have any more to, to give away. But um, if you got one of those, uh, we're going to be in chapter 8 next week. Hebrews 7 and verse 25 is Justin uh, will be bringing the message. And we are glad that uh, Justin and Edward and Stephanie have returned from the Middle East as well. So that's welcome back to each of you. Also want to just mention as uh, we start thinking about a new year is you might be thinking about how can you soak in God's word? What, what's Bible intake going to look like for you? I want to encourage you. It always helps to have a plan. It helps to have a time, a place, and a plan to, to meet with God on a regular basis. And so there's a lot of good Bible reading plans out there. We print one that we've found helpful over the years. That's available at the Welcome Center and in the bookstore. It's also available if you go to our website under resources, Bible reading plan is there, and there's a very nice warm note from Kenneth about um, what it means to be a disciple and the benefit of the word. So you can go read that. I've been using this plan for a number of years and found it really helpful personally, and maybe you will as well. This morning we're in Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to read the first two verses to open, and then we're going to kind of drop into several different places in, in this chapter as we go through the message. The title of the message is His Ways Are Higher Than Our Ways, and that's drawn from what we'll see here in verses 8 and 9. So please listen to the word of the Lord as I read from Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let's pray. Oh God, as we begin this message with prayer, we want to remember those who are hurting and suffering from these devastating tornadoes that broke out over the middle part of the country and we thank you that you are a God of great compassion and we pray that your compassion would break loose on those who are suffering, those who are trying to respond and help those who are hurting, those who are uh, injured, those who are, have, have lost ones. Uh, we, we pray for your mercy, Lord, to be spread abroad into Kentucky and different, different places where these tornadoes were. We pray this morning, O oh God of compassion, we pray that you would make the wonders of your love known to us and experienced by us through your word, through our reflections on Advent and Christ's first appearing and our hope in his second appearing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We have a favorite family card game 
called Liverpool Rum. And when we get together as a family, as we were able to do over Thanksgiving, we have these raucous evenings playing this game, which is built almost totally on random chance, but whoever wins is always confident it's because they're the best player. You know how that goes. So the way it works is uh, you're trying to collect, some of the times you're trying to collect runs, uh, uh, four consecutive numbers from the same suit, but the, the thing is you've got jokers, and jokers are wild, right? So jokers are a huge help. It's really hard to win in Liverpool rum if you don't have any jokers, but if you get jokers, you're in business because let's say you get like a four, six, seven of diamonds. Well, then you can drop your joker in there, right? And you're in business. You got four in a row of the same suit. Let's say you got uh, a 10 jack king of spades. You drop your joker in there and you're in business. So you love to have jokers in Liverpool rum. They always fit. And this passage of scripture that we're looking at today, Isaiah 55, eight and nine, I think it's a little bit like that joker. It's a little bit like that wild card. Here's a statement about God. Statement from God about God. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways, neither your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's a statement from God about who he is in contrast to who we are. And that statement is always true. You could drop that statement anywhere in the Bible. It doesn't have to be in Isaiah 55. You could drop that statement anywhere in Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, and it would always fit. It would always be true because his ways are always higher than our ways. This means we will always underestimate God. You need to know this. We will always underestimate God. Our tendency will always be to have a view of God's thoughts, a view of his ways, a view of his heart that is tiny compared to the reality of who he truly is. Now I want to ask this morning, is there some specific aspect of God's ways that comes into view here in Isaiah 55? Is there something specific about his ways that he is highlighting here for us? Is the wild card being used in a particular way in this setting? And I want to propose to you that it is. I want to propose to you that the aspect of God's ways that's in view here is his compassion. His compassion. That's my proposal. So you can test this as we go through the message and see if this, if this fits. But I'm confident that it does for two reasons. First, that's the theme of the whole chapter. As we drop into different parts of the chapter, you'll see that's the theme. And in fact, the ESV editors, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, they've titled this chapter, the titles, if you've got titles in your Bible, those aren't inspired, those aren't original, those are inserted later. But they've titled this chapter, The Compassion of the Lord. I also believe compassion is in view because it's the logic of the grammar of the passage. Verse 8 begins with the word for. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Verse 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. When you see that little word for, that's a tip off that this is now the basis, the ground for what's just been said. What was just said? Well, what was just said was this. If you come to God... He will have compassion on you and he will abundantly pardon. He will do that. Why? Because of who he is in his character. 
He is abundantly compassionate and ready to pardon. God's compassion, God's compassion is infinitely greater than we can imagine. And that compassion is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's what we're celebrating in this Advent time. Now we can't mine all the treasures of Isaiah 55 today. I encourage you to come back and study this chapter on your own, but we're gonna drop into three different places in the chapter for a glimpse in each place of God's infinitely great, his magnificent compassion. And not just a glimpse, but I hope, I pray, that you will not only see, but you will experience a sense of his compassionate heart for you in Christ. As we go through Isaiah 55, we're going to keep our Bibles open to the New Testament to see how God's compassion finds expression and fulfillment in Christ. So first, here's the first thing we're going to do, verses 1 and 2. Receive, I, want you to, I hope your experience is more than information transfer this morning. I hope this is an experiential sermon for you. I want you to receive, I believe God wants us to receive God's compassionate offer of life. Hear God's word. Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which doesn't satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. God's compassion is infinitely greater than we can imagine. And we see it here in his offer of life. Here's the situation. Isaiah 55. Israel is in decline. Isaiah is a prophet to the nation of Israel. There have been centuries of rebellion. The nation has split. There are literally barbarians at the gate. Egypt, the superpower below them, is like this crocodile snapping at them from the south. And Assyria is like a lion prowling in the north looking to devour them. Now let's compare their thoughts and ways with God's thoughts and ways. What are their ways? Well, they're thirsty, they're hungry, they're buying the wrong kind of food. They're looking for satisfaction. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for hope. They're looking for happiness and security. That's the metaphor of the eating and the drinking here. But the problem is they've got a crummy diet. They're believing lies. And so they're like thirsty people who are drinking big glasses of salt water and only finding themselves getting more thirsty. They're looking for life just like we are. They're looking for life in all the wrong places. The message translates part of this. Why do you spend your money on junk food? Your hard-earned cash on cotton candy. They're just filling themselves up with junk food and cotton candy and then wondering why they have stomach aches. Sound familiar? See, people haven't changed in 2,700 years since Isaiah prophesied, people are still looking for life in all the wrong places. 
People are looking for life in stuff, material things, in pleasure, comfort, entertainment, in success, in power. Our daughter was laughing with us in a recent conversation. She was at work and she was being teased for having an iPhone that still has a home button on it. How can you have an iPhone that still has a home button? How can you not have one with the facial ID? How do you have that old iPhone? it It was friendly teasing that she was receiving, but the subtle message that's sent to us over and over is, you want a good life? You've got to have the newest and the coolest. And it's salt water. It doesn't deliver. So God looks at the train wreck of this way of living trying to find satisfaction in the creation rather than in the creator. And he speaks to them about it. And do you notice how he speaks? I love what he does here. When God addresses a wayward people, he has a whole bunch of tools in his toolbox for how he does that. Sometimes he just tells them they're flat wrong. Sometimes he warns them. Here, he asks them a question. He basically says, hey, how's life working out for you? Stop and think about your life. Look at what he does. He says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Slow down and think about your life. What are you doing? Parents, I want to encourage you as you relate to your kids. Have a variety of tools in your toolbox. And one of them is asking perceptive questions like this. How's it working out this way that you're living? Then God says, listen to me and eat what is good. What he offers is stunning. It's so compassionate. It should leave us with our jaws dropped. First, he's offering what everyone needs. He says, do you want water, milk, wine, bread, real life? I've got it. Second, do you know how much it's going to cost you? Nothing. If you have no money, Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. This is a people who are deeply indebted to him for their rebellion and their sin against him. And he's saying, no, come to me for free. Think about this. This would never work in our world. Grocery store up the street, University Mall, giant. Imagine what would happen if they said, okay, here's our new business model. Everything on the shelves, free. All the time. How would that go over? First, like, you'd hear that and you'd say, no way. There's a catch. Like, nobody does that. But, but if you got over that and you went and found out it was really true, then you'd say, this is too good to be true. We better get everything we can today because they're not going to be here tomorrow because this is not a sustainable business model, right? Exactly. And God's ways are infinitely higher than our ways. God has a sustainable model of giving pardon free, of giving life free, of welcoming wayward people to come and receive life for nothing. It doesn't cost anything. Isn't that amazing compassion? And it's fulfilled in Advent. When Jesus comes... Hear the echoes. And he says, hey, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
Hey, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow not salt water, not poisoned water, living water. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus has this living water. He's not offering junk food. Leaves you with a stomachache. He's offering life and life abundantly. His heart of compassion is so great. He's inviting anyone and everyone to come to the ultimate banquet that he and his father will throw for all people. And the entry fee is nothing. Just come. Leave your wayward ways behind and come. If you've been eating junk food and stuffing yourself with cotton candy, leave them behind. Come to him for real food that satisfies. Oh, church, where are you looking for life? Where are you looking for satisfaction? How's it working out? If you've arrived here this morning hungry and thirsty, the banquet's open. Come and eat and drink. Amazing, stunning compassion. God's compassion is infinitely greater than we can imagine. We see it in his offer of life. We also see it in his offer of pardon. Look with me at verse 6. Verses 6 and 7 set up these verses 8 and 9 that are our anchor text for the sermon today. Here, again, God's word. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. God's compassion is infinitely greater, higher than we can imagine and we see it here in this offer of pardon. Did you catch the the? parallel of the ways and thoughts language that we'd seen in verses 8 and 9 when he says in verse 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways, my ways. Well, he's he's reflecting back from verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Here's the situation. Human beings, these people that he's addressing and all human beings Apart from redemption, human beings aren't just getting a bad grade. We're failing. We're not just off course by a few degrees. We're going the wrong direction. We're not just rough on the outside with hearts of gold. We're wicked and unrighteous. We live in God's world, but ignore him in God's world. Or defy God in his world. And the result of this, what the Bible calls sin is alienation from God, separation from him. It creates a wall between us. And so God is saying, come back, return. You were made to be in a relationship with me. So the ways of human beings are away from God, but hear God's heart, hear his thoughts, hear his Ways. He has every reason to be angry. He has every reason to say, look, I've had it with you. That's it. We're done. But what does he commission his prophet Isaiah to say? 
Hear what he says. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He's not hiding. He's findable. Back to phones. We've got this thing on our phones, find my friends. So we do this with our kids. They know when dad's at work or Kate's out for a hike or whatever. But sometimes you look at it and it says location not found. Do you know what God is saying? If you come to him, you'll never have that experience. He is findable. He wants you to be with him. And what happens when wicked and unrighteous people come to him in humility, forsaking their wayward thoughts and lives? What do you experience with God when you come to him from that place? A good scolding? I told you so. You again? Time out. Just go sit in the corner. Listen, let this compassion soak into your bones. Verse seven, let the wicked return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. How, how much of a pardon? Abundantly pardon. Now we have two problems with this. One, we may not believe that we need this. And if you don't believe that you need compassion and pardon from God, then you will find little interest in Jesus and in Christianity because Jesus comes not for those who are righteous, those who are doing well. He comes for the broken, for the sinners, for the sick. But second, we may want to believe this, but then not really believe that God would actually pardon us. Maybe he'll do that for somebody else. Maybe he'll do that sometime in the future. And there are many reasons why we might doubt this. Often it's from our experience with other people or even the way we've related to other people. Some people growing up in an unsafe home with an angry parent, scary, dangerous, unpredictable. So you've had that experience and then you hear this from God and, you may, and yet you may expect that God is going to treat you like that dangerous, angry parent. Will he? Will he really pardon? I got an example of the, the power of pardon just from talking to my sister Recently, Zoe, who's here visiting with us today, she teaches writing in a prison, San Quentin, in the San Francisco area. And so she gets to know uh, the, these guys who are in the prison there. And one of them recently had his parole hearing. Been in prison for 20 plus years. And at this parole hearing, that board has the power to set you free, to commute your sentence, and you can walk out. You can go be free. So this guy had been working hard. He's, he's a wonderful guy. He'd become a Christian. He's taking classes, programs, very employable. Had lined up a place to live. He, he, he met with the parole board on Friday. The board convened. And the verdict was parole denied for three years. Come back in three years and try again. Now parole boards have their job to do. But I want you to hear this. If you come to God with your sin, 
you will never, ever hear. Come back in three years. Do a better job. Get yourself cleaned up. Take some classes. Learn some more. Come back and try again. No, that's not who God is. He will abundantly pardon. Why? Because his thoughts are not your thoughts. Because his ways are infinitely higher than our ways. Because his compassion is boundless and infinite. This God, it gets better than this. Isn't this amazing that God would relate to us this way? This is what he says to us. And he doesn't just say this to us. You know what he does? He comes in person. God becoming one of us. And he becomes this suffering servant that Isaiah had just written about in chapter 53. Jesus' mission in the advent, in his appearing, his arriving, was to come and be this guy. Here, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. This is who Jesus comes in his compassion so that we can be pardoned and forgiven. He, Jesus, was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Can you see the compassionate heart of God. Can you experience this in the arrival of Christ? Christ's compassion for you was so great that he was willing to be despised so you could be pardoned and accepted. He was willing to be chastised so you could have peace. Amazing love. How can it be? You, my God, would die for me. This compassionate heart, it isn't just for Israel in 700 BC. It wasn't just for a few people in the first century in Jerusalem. No, it's for all people, for all nations, for all times. And when we leave this room today, we get to go and be ambassadors with this good news and this message of reconciliation and compassion and pardon and peace all wrapped up in Christ. God's compassion is infinitely greater than we can imagine. We see it in his promise of pardon. And we see it in his promise of joy. Point three, receive God's compassionate promise of joy. Here's how the chapter ends. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you. Shall, excuse me, the, the mountains and the hills before you shall break forth in singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. 
Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. You like that passage, don't you? Do you know there's clapping trees in the Bible? Like before there was a clapping church, there was a promise of clapping trees. I love that. Thank you. That's good. God's compassion is being poured out on Israel here. Israel is in the bleak midwinter of their existence as a nation. They're fractured, they're vulnerable, they're weary, they're disheartened. Any of that sound familiar for anybody's experience here today? Hear this promise that was so astounding for them and it's still true for you here today. In fact, I wonder when they heard what's promised here, joy, peace, and something going on in creation that's amazing, I I wonder if when they heard that, they thought, no way. That couldn't work. Things have gotten too lost, too broken, too dark, too far gone. And those might be your thoughts today too. And I want to say once more, your thoughts are not his thoughts. His ways are not your ways. The heavens are high above the earth. So are his ways higher than your ways and his compassion higher than you can imagine. God is saying, look, I'm not like you. I'm actually in control. I always accomplish what I set out to do. And my goal is your joy. Do you know that? That's what it says. You shall go out in joy. This is what his word, this is what the gospel, this is what the ministry of Jesus Christ has come to accomplish, joy. Because God is most glorified in us when we are most joyful and satisfied in him. Our joy is his goal. And what is with these clapping trees? What's with these singing mountains? This is really cool. I want you to look in verse 13 with me, please. So instead of the thorn, shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar, shall come up the myrtle. What's going on here? Can you think of any place else in the Bible where you you might have heard about thorns and briars or maybe thorns and thistles? that ring any bells? If you're familiar with your Bibles, Genesis 3 comes to mind. This is Genesis 3 language. In Genesis 3, in response to Adam and Eve's rebellion and sin, God said, cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth. Can you see what's happening now in Isaiah 55 and what the promise is here? Advent, can you see what happens when Christ comes and this promise is fulfilled? Blessed is the ground because of you, Jesus. The creation is going to be made new. That's the hope. That's the promise. That's what he started in the first advent and that's what's going to be fulfilled in the second advent. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Why? Because Jesus comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Any place there are thorns and thistles, the blessing of Christ can flow here today and one day. One day, everything will be made new. 
Thorns and thistles gone. Cypress trees and myrtles instead. Viruses and tornadoes. Climate change. Pollution. Hatred. Gone. A new creation. Singing. Joy. Harmony. Things the way they're supposed to be. And you know what? It's already begun. When did it begin? When Jesus died and rose again, he became the firstborn from the dead. Revelation 1.5. What does that mean? It means in his new resurrection glorified body, the new creation has already started. And one day when he comes back, Creation will be delivered from groaning under the weight of our sin and it will be able to sing the praises of the Redeemer because Jesus will come to make all things new and the dead in Christ will rise to new bodies forever to be with him in a perfect and glorified creation forever. This is an everlasting sign. It'll never end. It'll never run out. It'll never need a new model. It'll never need an upgrade. It'll never need to be replaced. It will never break. It will never wear out. It will be everything you've always hoped that life could be and far beyond that. That's the promise of joy that's yours in Christ today. That is amazing compassion, isn't it? That he would bring a wayward and rebellious people, pardon them, make them his own, and lead them forth in joy and peace. That's what's waiting at the second advent. But we're still here, and there's plenty of thorns and briars around, aren't there? I don't need you to make your own list I, I can guess, I know how, how much trouble and hurt and suffering there is in the world today. So wherever your thorns and briars are in your life here and now, I want to remind you, you have a great high priest who's able to sympathize with your weaknesses, who's ready to reveal his tender heart of affection to all who come to him who's able to bring you to a throne of grace for help in time of need. That's who Jesus is in his compassionate heart for you. I want to remind you that we still have one who says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. He's still saying that. He hasn't changed. His heart of compassion is no less now that he's in heaven than it was when he was here on earth. So come to him. Bring your thorns and thistles to him. Bring your sins to him. Bring your waywardness to him. Bring your troubles to him. Bring it all to him. His compassion is infinitely greater than you can ever imagine. But oh, how he's ready to give you a taste of some more than you've ever known. This offer, this banquet, it's wide open, but not everyone's going to benefit from it. There is a condition. You have to come 
You have to respond. You have to receive what he's offering. You have to return to him. His heart of compassion is open now. But it's not open in this way to wayward people forever. This is a limited time offer. There is urgency to this invitation to return to the Lord, to seek him while he may be found. So, let every heart prepare him room. Decisions are required. If you haven't come to Christ to receive his compassion and pardon, oh, won't you come? And won't you come today? Don't try to fix things first. You don't need to go work on things, come back when you're more cleaned up. He's not asking for your successes. He's asking for your sins. Come to Jesus for life. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. And oh church, come back to him. Keep coming to him. Stay near to him. Keep drinking. Keep eating. We're going to transition now to having the Lord's Supper. If you didn't receive the elements, there are tables in the back, in the middle, and the middle up there, and I think I forgot mine, so I'm going to go get mine.